Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 64 for today's lesson. Uh, I love being able to zoom in on some of these passages uh, and really meditate on, think about what, uh, what we can learn uh, from the Isaiah the prophet. There's no end really to what the scriptures declare and show. Uh, but the topic of the day, well, here it is. It's weight training. Are you guys ready for a little weight training lesson? You're like, Brett, what do you know about weight training? Well, as it turns out, I used to do quite a bit of you know, powerlifting. I even have competed in powerlifting, but I'm not gonna talk about that. Uh, I'm gonna actually talk about this kind of weight training. Uh, and this is the harder one, if you ask me. Not weight uh, as in lifting weights, but weight like being patient. <laughs> weight training is what we're gonna talk about. And I can, I can bet that some of you guys in here are not so good at that. Uh, if you're like me, man, it's so hard to be patient and wait for stuff. Um, you know, we live in a culture that is right here and now, man. If you're hungry, go through the drive-through. If you need money, go to an ATM. Uh, man, if, you, if you're, uh, you know, wanting to uh, go on vacation, you just make, you know, t get tickets online. If you want to go uh, get food, get, go to Amazon and have it dropped off by a drone on your front porch. Like, like, we live in this culture. It's like, I want it here and I want it now. And, and uh, patience, well, that's not a very modern thing. Um, isn't it funny, like, you know, when Abraham Lincoln became president, it took like weeks and weeks for the West Coast side of, you know, this, this country, you know, to even know who the president was. Uh, it was a long haul to get information. Now, man, everything's in real time. And, uh, and because of that, we've become a very impatient bunch. But one of the things that the Bible does speak a lot about is being those who would wait upon the Lord. Waiting on the Lord, what does that mean? Is it important? When you're talking about rightly dividing the word of truth, which is a, the way Paul talks about it, but it's, it's interpreting scripture and knowing what's important and getting the point. One of the things that I wanna give you guys some advice on, if you wanna be a good Bible student, you'll be good at counting. Become good at counting. Um, you, what do I mean by counting? Well, how much, how often does the Lord bring up any given subject? You know, um, it's funny how the church focuses on things that I don't think the Lord focuses on often, oftentimes. You know, um, I, I tell, talk about this, you know, but some churches you go to, all they ever talk about is tithes and offerings. Like you'll do a 20 week series uh, for, on tithes and offerings. And, um, and, and then next year they'll do another 20 week series on it. It's like, wow, the Bible must be packed full of, you know, tithe and offering scriptures. But as it turns out, if, you, if you're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter like we do, it comes up maybe once every few years. Um, I, I can uh, count on one hand how many sermons I've done uh, in the last 25 years here at Athey Creek on tithes and offerings. Now, it comes up once in a while in our Wednesday night Bible study as we've been going through the Bible, little mentions of giving and stuff. But it's, it's not, I mean, it's important, but it's not, it's not all through the Bible cover to cover. Here's another one that gets, I think, maybe more importance in people's mind. In fact, people make their decision of what church they go to based on this, the worship team. Man, is the worship good? Is the song list good? Is the worship director know what he's doing or she's doing? And people will make decisions about going to church. But, but how many times, question, in the New Testament church, in the, the New Testament, does the Bible talk about um, your worship team or a worship director? As it turns out, not one time. It's not even mentioned once. In fact, nowhere in the New Testament do you see a worship director. And now I'm not making an argument for no worship. I love, you know, you know, I love music. I love leading worship. I think it's important. But man, there's people that say, I'm not going to that church because 
their worship team is not what I think it should be. Now, what does it talk about, about teaching the Bible or prayer or those kinds of notions? Man, it's all throughout the New Testament. Now, by the way, worship is mentioned. Jesus sang one song in the upper room. <laughs> That's one mention in the New Testament. Uh, another mention is, you know, there in Ephesians where we're to sing spiritual songs and hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in our hearts. You know, that, that's, that's another one, but that's pretty much it. We see people worshiping in the throne room of heaven in book of Revelation, but it's a really minor, minor thing. And the, the reason I say that is not to diminish worship. I love that. But man, are there other themes that might be more important in God's heart, in his mind? I'm reminded of the elders of Israel, they came to the Lord one year and said, Lord, we have been fasting and praying for these 70 years, each time of this month. And we, we wanna know, is, should we keep fasting and praying as we've done for these 70 years? The Lord says, you've been fasting and praying because you wanted to do it, but it, I don't care. It's not something I'm wanting you to do. What I want you to do is show mercy to, and be kind to the poor. And like the Lord just said, whatever. It's kind of an amazing thing where they, they thought they were so holy because they were fasting and praying, but the Lord says, you're doing that for your own reasons. But what I'm in, interested in was totally different. The reason I think you should be good at counting is when, you, when we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible, there's some things you go, man, the Lord talks about this a lot. One of those topics is this idea of waiting on the Lord. It's just all throughout scripture. And this verse here tells us something really good, something really cool about those who wait on the Lord. Let's check it out. It's Isaiah 64, verse four, 64, four. And here it says, for since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. King James word for wait, waiteth. <laughs> uh, this weight training that we're gonna do here, it, it's, it's, it's this idea of learning to wait on the Lord. Isaiah 64, four. This scripture here is, is the one that I, I think we should focus on and meditate on because um, there's good things that come to those who wait. What kind of good things? Well, the Lord says, eye hasn't seen, nor has ear ever heard. And it's, it's never even come into the heart of man. Uh, we're gonna read in another passage of this uh, verse uh, a little bit later. But the, the, the glorious, wonderful things that the Lord is preparing for those who wait on him. Waiting on the Lord, good things come to those who wait. And, and we can't even imagine how good they are. That's what the Bible's saying. Now, when I think about what the Lord is preparing for us, what is he preparing? Well, Jesus kind of filled in the blank there, didn't he? In John chapter 14, Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions, better translation, dwelling places. And he says, if this were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Um, that where I am, there you may be also. Where you and I are gonna go, if you're a Christian and you're saved and you're gonna go to heaven, the Lord Jesus has been preparing a place for you. And here we read that eye has not seen nor ear has heard. It's never even come into the mind of man how this is gonna really be. But my mind starts to kind of imagine some pretty amazing things when I realize that Jesus was there at creation. If you know your Bible, Colossians talks about this because Jesus is God. And, um, and how long did it take Jesus, the Lord, to make the earth? 
Well, he made it in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. And I think this world's pretty cool. Man, when you look at the beauty around us, the mountains, the rivers, the lakes, the, the stars of the sky and the sun, and man, just so many good things that we, we just go, wow, the Lord is amazing. Six days. But Jesus told us when he was getting ready to you know, die and be crucified and then ascend into heaven, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And he said that almost 2000 years ago. I think heaven is gonna be so amazing that's why the Bible doesn't even really attempt to explain it. Have you ever noticed that about heaven? Like verses like this, eye is not seen, ear is not heard. Uh, and like Paul's gonna say, it never even entered into the heart of man, the glorious things that the Lord has prepared for those, his children, those that wait upon him. It's gonna be great. And it's indescribable. That's why when Paul was taken up into heaven, he says, whether it was a vision or I went there for real, he said, I don't know. But what I saw there was unlawful for me to even speak. Um, Paul didn't, didn't even try to explain it. It'd be like if I gave you this assignment. We sit down, this little one-month-old baby, and there he is drooling in his little high chair, kind of the little blob of a one-month-old one child. And I say, now your job is to explain Disneyland to that one-month-old Tell them all about it. They're like, well, there's this ride called the pirate's ride and a pirate is a, well, and these boats and water and uh, yo-ho and uh, you, you wouldn't know what to explain. How do you explain the pirate? Space Mountain. How do you explain that to a one-month-old baby? Well, the one-month-old, if you took the one-month-old baby on the Space Mountain, uh, probably be terrifying for that child. Um, it, it's too much, too much. So in the same way, God says, you guys, when we talk about heaven, it's just a little too much for, for you. I'm not, even gonna, I'm not even gonna try. But eye has not seen, nor has ear ever heard, and it's never even entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for his people. But in this verse, it says, he's prepared for those who wait on him. That's the key, waiting on the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I wanna be a part of this. I wanna be someone who's in this category that waits on the Lord. So, so does the Bible talk a lot about waiting on the Lord? Can I rapid fire some scriptures for you? Um, because the Bible, I, I talked about being a good counter. I'm just gonna give you some of my favorites. This isn't even exhaustive, but check this out. You can jot these scriptures down in your notes if you want to. Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. This is, you know, the psalmist saying it twice. <laughs> That's how important it is. Wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. And what will happen? Be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart if you're waiting on the Lord. What a, what a promise associated with those who wait on the Lord. Psalm 27, 14. Psalm 37, seven. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Uh, do we have wicked devices around us? We did a sermon two weeks ago on wickedness. It's all around us. And you kind of wonder, what's the deal? Well, here are those who rest and wait patiently on the Lord doesn't have to fret or be afraid. Psalm 37, seven. Lamentations 3:26. it is good that a man should both hope, <coughs> excuse me, and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Man, I'm just getting started. Psalm 37, nine. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Psalm 37, 34. Wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. Um, Proverbs 20, 22. But wait on the Lord and he shall save thee. 
Isaiah 30, verse 18, we read this just a few weeks ago. Blessed are they that wait for him. Here's one that we read a few weeks ago too. Isaiah 40, verse 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And many of you know the rest of that. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, Isaiah 49, 23, they, uh, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. Implication? If you don't wait on the Lord, you might end up being ashamed. <laughs> I, I've been there, done that. Uh, we'll talk about that too. Lamentations 3.25, for the Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. I want you to notice on that last one, there's a link between those who wait on the Lord and those that seek the Lord. It, it's, it's part of the same process, waiting and seeking. There's a little heads up for you. So the idea of waiting on the Lord, I'm just giving you my favorite verses. There's, it's just, the Bible's chocked full of the admonition that you and I, both Old Testament and New Testament, that we should wait upon the Lord. So what does waiting on the Lord look like? Well, there's all kinds of uh, examples. Um, you know, the Old Testament is full of great stories and a mistake is made by Bible readers when they think, well, what do these Old Testament stories have to do with me? You know, so what? David fought a bunch of Philistines and killed them. So what? Abraham, you know, had a baby with Sarah. What does that mean to me? Well, do you understand? The Old Testament is a beautiful picture book, illustrations, teaching us New Testament truths. It sort of brings the hay down from the loft for the believer. When the Bible says stuff like wait upon the Lord, we're like, what does that mean? What does it not mean? Well, there's, there's a plethora of examples throughout the Old Testament that are just beautiful pictures. Um, ask Abraham what it means to wait on the Lord. There's a guy who both did pretty well for a long time, but then he blew it at the end. Do you remember when God told Abraham as a fairly young man, maybe even in his 20s, uh, the Lord said, Abraham, I'm gonna make of you a mighty nation. And you and your wife, Sarah, will give birth to a child and out of that child will come a mighty nation, which would be the Hebrews, the Jews. And so Abraham, here's that promise. And so he waits. And he waits, he waits past his 30s and past his 40s, into his 50s, uh-oh. And Sarah and he are not getting any younger, you know. And the Lord said, yep, through you guys. Even the Lord visited Abraham and reminded him when they were getting older in their 80s, the Lord said, through Sarah. And Sarah was listening behind the tent, remember? Sarah laughs and said, am I gonna have a child at my age? Huh. And the Lord says, uh, Sarah, why did you just laugh? And she said, I didn't laugh. And, and the Lord said, yes, you did. <laughs> True story. You don't want to argue with the Lord because he, he hears all that. But what's amazing about Abraham and Sarah, they get up into their 80s and they get this promise from the Lord. And Sarah says, Abraham, I'm old. This isn't, gonna, this isn't gonna happen. We need to help the Lord along. And so here's my handmaid, Hagar. She was a lady they picked up down in Egypt. And this woman, Hagar, um, you know, Sarah says, go sleep with her and have a baby with her. And then that'll be the Lord's promised child. And Abraham's like, cool, whatever. And he goes and sleeps with Hagar. She becomes pregnant and gives birth to a, a son and they name him Ishmael. And Abraham says, my son Ishmael, oh, that he may live and prosper. And the Lord says, that's not the promised son. I said through Abraham and Sarah, that's not the one. Oops. And pretty soon into her 90s, suddenly Sarah is pregnant, but that can't happen. Don't say can't when the Lord is involved. So the Lord makes a 90 year old woman pregnant. Maybe she was really in great shape or something. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, the Lord made this happen. 
she gets pregnant, has this baby and they name him Isaac. And Isaac is the promised child that the Lord spoke of through Abraham and Sarah. You see, Abraham and Sarah got hasty and tried to help things along and they got ahead of the Lord and tried to make stuff happen. Always a big mistake. Was that a mistake? Ishmael and Isaac, how'd they get along? Well, the Bible tells us that Ishmael and Isaac didn't get along and Sarah said, Abraham, get that woman and her son out of here. They're being mean to Isaac. Um, and so they kicked, they kicked Hagar and uh, Ishmael out. And Ishmael, believe it or not, becomes the father of another nation called the people group called the Arabs. The Arab nation came from Ishmael, also a son of Abraham. How have they been getting along ever since? There's a little thing we call the Arab-Israeli conflict. It's been going for thousands of years, all because Abraham didn't wait on the Lord. Now, before we're too hard on Abraham and Sarah, they did wait like 85 years. <laughs> you gotta give them credit. 85 years, that's pretty good waiting. Um, but isn't, that should be a lesson to us. One of the things we're learning right now in this lesson is waiting on the Lord could be your whole life. You could be waiting on the Lord your whole life for something to happen. And it seems to me like the Lord's good with that. He's okay with saying, you know what? You're gonna wait your whole life. Yeah, but what if I don't want it? Doesn't matter. You might wait your whole life. But you see, we view this world and this life as something big, but this world and this life is just a blip on the screen. Eternity is what matters. We'll talk about that in a second. So Abraham and Sarah, just ask them about waiting on the Lord and what that means. And is it a problem when you get ahead of the Lord? <laughs> they learned. But it's not just Abraham. What about Jacob, the grandson of Abraham? Remember that story? There's a guy who had to wait on the Lord for what he wanted. He wanted to marry a girl. Boy, that's one of the problems I see when people aren't waiting on the Lord when they're young and wanting to get married to someone. Um, it's a big goof to not wait on the Lord on that one. The biggest decision you'll make in your life, getting married. Um, but I see people going, yeah, Brad, we want you to marry us. Well, well, well how long? You know? Three weeks. Three weeks. You, you think this guy's good? He's, he's been great for three weeks. And I always say anybody can be cool for three weeks. Um, but have you seen the real him? Do you know what you're getting into? Um, and, you know, making sure to seek the Lord and wait on the Lord. People get hasty when it comes to the idea of marriage, but not Jacob. Jacob goes to Rachel's house, Uncle Laban, and says, I would like to marry Rachel. He says, cool, but you have to work for me for seven years. And then when you're done working, then the seven years, then you can marry my daughter. And so Jacob's like, cool. And he loved Rachel so much the, day, the, the years seemed like days to him. And finally, when the seven years were over, they, they get the wedding together and out comes the girl all heavily veiled like they did in those days where you couldn't even see her. And you know, they did the wedding, you do, you don't, you will, you won't, they're married. And they go into the bride chamber and you know, they, they sleep together. Well, he wakes up in the morning and looks under the sheets and there's his wife and it's not Rachel, it's her sister, Leah. Now, I'm sorry about this, but the Bible says that when you looked at Leah, it made your eyes hurt. That's what the Bible says. Now, some of you don't like that, but it doesn't matter. The Lord is just, uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says she was just ugly. Poor Leah. Now, by the way, the thing I love about this story is if you read the whole story, Leah kind of wins in the end. Like in a lot of ways, the Lord really blesses Leah. Um, even though she was um, visually challenged, if, or whatever you call that. Um, uh, you know, how do you say it nicely? Bible says, made your eyes hurt when you looked at her. 
So there's you know, Jacob waking up in the morning, ah! and there's Leah in his bed. And he says, Laban, what have you done? I was gonna marry Rachel. And he said, oh, that's not our custom. We, we marry off her first, then you can marry Rachel, but you gotta work seven more years for her. See, that's where Jacob, he had to wait and be patient and trust that the Lord knew what he was doing, even with shifty old uncle Laban. But the problem is, a lot of people aren't willing to do the time and wait and be patient. And so they hurry and they get themselves into trouble like Abraham. Um, waiting on the Lord. Don't just ask Abraham. Don't just ask, you know, Jacob. What about Joseph? Joseph is a good example of what it means to be patient and wait upon the Lord. Because the Lord gave Joseph, if you remember there in Genesis, you know, Joseph was given a, a dream where the Lord was gonna prosper and bless him. And even his brothers and his parents would eventually bow down in honor to Joseph. And he saw that in a dream. Now he went and told his brothers, hey, someday you guys are gonna bow down in honor before me. And they hated him for it. And so they took Joseph and dragged him down into the wilderness and threw him in a, a well, like a big deep pit, and left him there to die. But then one of the brothers said, maybe we shouldn't leave him to die. Maybe we should make some money off our brother. We'll sell him as a slave. So they pull him up out of the hole, sell him to the Ishmaelites, where like gypsies going down by the, the side there. And, and then the Ishmaelites dragged Joseph down to Egypt and sold him as a slave. And there, Joseph was a slave for years. Then while he was a slave, to make matters worse, you already been thrown in a pit, left for dead, dragged out and sold as a slave. Now as a slave, he's falsely accused of rape. And so, you know, they, throw him in prison there in Egypt. And he's in prison, prison for years. From the time that Joseph had the dream, what the Lord showed him was gonna happen, to the time where Joseph actually saw his brothers bow down in honor of him, 17 years, minimally 17 years. You say, well, 17 years is not so bad. Uh, but if you talk about 17 years of being in the pits, being a slave, being in prison, that's doing some hard time right there. But Joseph, always kept a good attitude and always knew that the Lord had a purpose and a plan. And because of that, when you look at Joseph's life, all these promises that we just read about waiting on the Lord, you can see them perfectly applied to Joseph's life. The Lord strengthened him, gave him peace in the times of trouble, used him mightily, and he goes down as one of the greatest men in history. Because he was a guy who waited and was patient, waiting on the Lord. Man, I could go on and on. Moses, 40 years in, the, in Egypt becoming somebody, but then he's booted out of Egypt and he spends 40 years in the land of Midian being nobody. And then at the ripe old age of 80, that's when Moses gets his calling for ministry. <laughs> I wonder if we have some 80 year olds in here who the Lord's saying, do you just wait? You haven't even started your ministry yet. That's what Moses, 80 years old, looks. okay, now you're ready. Um, and the Lord raised up Moses and he ministered for 40 more years and died at 120 years old. What an amazing story. But that's waiting, being patient for the Lord to, to deal with, with Moses. You know, even in my own uh, you know, experience, there was a season where I kind of had to wait and trust that the Lord knew what he was doing. Um, I, I really felt the calling to be a pastor uh, when I was 12 years old. By the time I was 12, I knew I wanted to be a pastor, a Bible teacher. And so, you know, I, I thought I'm gonna try to prepare myself for that. So I signed up to start teaching for Sunday school classes. I taught first graders. 
big class of first grade kids. I was 12 years old, they were six years old, and uh, there I was teaching the Bible. Um, a few, about five years of doing that, teaching Sunday school and doing a lot of church stuff, um, then I was hired by the church at the time to be the children's pastor at the age of 17. It was a church of a couple thousand people, and so there was tons of kids, and man, trial by fire, man, I was learning the ropes and, and, and being a children's pastor for years, many, many years. Um, you know, in fact, I, I was thinking along the way, somewhere along the way, I'd get the calling to be a, a pastor of a church, you know, and start up a church or take over a church or do something like that. But I was waiting until I was 21 or 22 maybe, but those ages kind of came and went and there I was teaching children. There was one particular time, a part of my ministry that I always thought about this stuff and it was, it was every Sunday night. I'll tell you why it was every Sunday night. You know, as the children's pastor, one of the things I was responsible for was making sure all the classrooms were full of teachers, trained, ready to go teachers. And, and, um, and so uh, the problem was I could get Sundays and Wednesdays all filled up, but Sunday night worship was impossible to find people to, to help with children. So I just did it myself. I thought I'm gonna take the preschoolers from three-year-old to five-year-old. Nobody wants them on Sunday night, so that'll be my class. And so I had a class, I'm not kidding. It was, it was a classroom full of like 50 three to five-year-olds. Can you imagine that? Um, let me explain it in gory detail. Does anybody know what a room full of children, what kid's breath smells like? When, when there's like 50 kids in a little room and they're running around and playing and, and, and it's just the smell of, it's, it's impossible to describe. <laughs> but it also makes the room very humid and moist. In fact, I remember seeing on the windows of my classroom beads of water dripping down the sides because of the moist, warm kid breath air. Not only that, um, the three-year-olds, the, the parents would tout them as potty trained and drop them off in my class. But as it turns out, some of them weren't so potty trained. And so you're in there like, there were other aromas that were in the room as well. Uh, and there I was wondering, what am I doing with my life? There I was sitting in with these little kids that were stinky and, and I'd sit there and think, Lord, when, when are you gonna call me to, to have a real congregation and be a pastor? Well, I did that every Sunday night for eight years. Eight years. I was a children's pastor for 13. But eight years of just kind of wondering, Lord, what's going on? Now, now here's the funny thing. <laughs> uh, there was a time I almost was resentful of that. I, I, was, I was glad to be able to teach the kids and, I, and it was fun. And I don't think anybody knew that I was kind of wrestling with this really, but it was kind of troublesome until about the seventh year, I remember thinking, you know what? This isn't that bad. And maybe this is what the Lord wants me to do the rest of my life. I literally got to a place in my life where I thought, you know, I could just do this forever. It's all right. Maybe I'm not supposed to be a, a senior pastor. And as soon as I got to this place of real peace, the Lord just stirred my heart and said, now's the time to go. And by the time I turned 30, the Lord gave Deb and I the green light to go. And, you know, we looked at some areas. We, we were asked to, start, to take over a church in Melbourne, Australia. We said yes, and we were selling our possessions and getting ready to go to Melbourne, Australia. And then, then the Lord kind of closed that door. And then there was another uh, opportunity in Hilo, Hawaii. There's a ministry opportunity, suffering for the Savior, you know, in Hawaii, uh, you know, tough, tough duty. But the Lord didn't really give me the green light on that, but I was, Deb and I were just seeking the Lord kind of constantly during that time. And the Lord just kept putting the, the uh, on the map, Portland, Oregon. And, uh, and when we got the green light, we picked up our family with not really knowing anybody up here. We, we just met one couple kind of circuitously and uh, they said, yeah, come on up, we can, we can start a Bible study. 
And so we did that. But, but here's the thing. Um, I sometimes look back on that and I realize how thankful I am that the Lord had a, a timing that was really obvious. Now I look at it and I see it as being so obvious. I would really not have been prepared or ready for what the Lord would have for us here had I not put in the time down there. Just teaching kids and Sunday school class and little, little uh, three-year-olds that are not really potty trained but think they are. Um, the Lord used that in my life and it was timing, waiting on the Lord. Um, I, some of my buddies, by the way, young, young guys, that's, they, they were like me saying, we're gonna be in the ministry. They started earlier you know, and jumped into it. But it's interesting because those, those things didn't go very well. But it's been neat to see how the Lord has used just the timing in my life. And I, I, I wish that I would have done better on the waiting on the Lord in all areas of my life. I wish that for you guys. That's why waiting on the Lord is so important. And, and what we need to do is kind of figure out what does waiting on the Lord actually look like? Um, let's take a look. I wanna show you kind of what the scriptures teach us about waiting on the Lord and what that means for you and for me. First of all, before I go into what it looks like, let me tell you what it doesn't look like. Laziness or going to sleep or um, not willing to do anything. I, I get this, there's a, there's a thing that happens where Christians can use the idea of waiting on the Lord as an excuse for doing nothing. I'm just waiting on the Lord. Well, what are you doing? Wait, well, I'm living with my parents, playing video games in the basement. Just when the Lord gives me an opportunity, I'll take it. That's not really waiting on the Lord. Um, waiting on the Lord can be an active thing and we'll show you kind of what that means. But it, it, if you could sort of summarize it, three basic statements. Number one, waiting on the Lord looks like activity under command. That is the commander, of course, is God. And he wants to direct your life. And, and for you to perform what God wants you to do in his time according to his purpose. It's, it's a very military idea, truthfully. You know, um, when you talk to soldiers, there's a lot of downtime. But part of the thing of being a, a good soldier is you got all your gear and your, your, your stuff all ready to go. So that when the command comes to go, you are ready to roll, ready to move. And that's the idea is activity under command. Um, when you're waiting on the Lord, you're saying the Lord is the one who's directing my life. Not me, not other people, but it's the Lord. And waiting on the Lord looks like that. And, and it's kind of an as you go sort of process. Um, I've marked on this note here, Exodus 17, why? Well, that's where Moses interceded in prayer on, the, on behalf of Joshua. Remember the story there at Rephidim, Exodus 17? It's funny because you can kind of see in that story, and I probably won't do it justice here, but where Moses, he says, I'm gonna go stand on that mountain. Joshua, you go fight the battle and, and uh, we'll see what happens. But actually what happened? Moses didn't go stand on the mountain. What did he do? He went up and sat. Why? Because the Lord said, sit on this rock. And so he sits down. Now lift up your hands, lift up your hands. And, 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 and suddenly Moses realizes, I always kind of wondered, when did Moses realize what was going on with the hands thing? Remember what happened? His, his hands were up. Joshua was winning down in the valley of the battle. But if he put his hands down, Joshua was losing. And his, and his army was, you know, and, and I wonder how long it took Moses to figure that out. Like, you know, uh, 
I just wonder how long it took. But, but eventually he realized, man, I gotta keep my hands up. And his arms were going weary. So the Lord says, now I'm gonna get Aaron and her, and they're gonna stand next to you and hold your arms up. It was a very different picture than what Moses said before. He said, I'm gonna go stand up top the mountain and we'll see the victory. But the Lord says, no, I'm gonna give you direction, activity under command. There was a battle going on and the Lord wanted Moses to do some very specific things. And Moses was receptive enough to hear what God wanted to do. And as he was obedient, Joshua had no idea. <laughs> Can you imagine being Joshua? We're winning, we're winning. Wait, we're losing, we're losing. What's going on? Winning, losing, losing. And there's Moses up there. Like Joshua was down in the valley of interaction. And that's where a lot of us like to be. You and I like to do stuff. But sometimes the Lord's gonna have you in the, not on the, the valley of interaction, but on the mountain of intercession where you're actually seeking the Lord, saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's where the victory is gonna be won. We think the victory is won in the valley of interaction where Joshua's fighting the battle. That's not where the victory was won. The victory was won by a dude up on a mountain saying, Lord, what's next? What do you have for me to do? How do I go about this? What's the protocol for this situation? And because Moses was that guy that waited on the Lord and was directed by the Lord, it, it was activity under God's command. Thus, they had great victory. And that's what you and I can have. The Lord wants us to wait on him, even as Moses waited on the Lord. Number two on our list of things, readiness to hear from the Lord. Waiting on the Lord looks like a readiness. You're postured in a way to listen. Man, we're living in a day where we're not very good at that. We're too busy to listen to the Lord. Man, we're on our social media looking for likes. You know, we're, we're watching the news. We're talking to everybody else. We're busy at work. But, but the problem is to wait upon the Lord, it means you're, you're ready to actually hear from the Lord. Remember I showed you there that scripture that links waiting on the Lord to seeking the Lord. The problem is many of us are just too busy to actually hear from the Lord. There, there's no readiness. I love what Paul told the church at Thessalonica when he said that they received the word with all readiness of mind. Have you postured your life in a way where you actually have space to hear from the Lord? Well, Brett, we're here at church. Uh, we're listening to a Bible teaching, a long, tedious study by you. Well, and that's good, and I think that's kind of important that we gather and do teaching like this, but, but for your life personally, kind of the Moses thing where he was specifically receiving direction for his life personally, do you have space in your life where you're ready to actually hear from the Lord? Because if you're like me and like most of us, we're too busy. Man, we're just, we're just on our phones all the time. We're, we're watching the news. We're busy entertaining and working and doing all the stuff that we do. And I wonder if some of us have lost that readiness to hear from God. Um, I, I think of this in different ways. For the older people in the room, if you've been saved for years and years, um, one of the problems that I have found in my own walk as an older Christian is you kind of say, I heard from the Lord back in 84. That's when I really heard from the Lord and I, the Lord showed me to be a pastor and now I'm a pastor, so I don't need to hear anymore. But waiting on the Lord looks like readiness to hear from the Lord your whole life. In fact, I would say it this way, every day of your life. Otherwise, Moses would have missed the call when he was 80 years old. The Lord said, now I want you to go and deliver my people from Egypt. Sarah and Abraham would have checked out altogether had they not been ready to hear from God, even in their old age. So for you older Christians, this is something you might need to be revived 
something that maybe you were back in 79 or when you were younger and you were ready to hear from the Lord, but maybe you've become sort of like set in your ways. And the Lord's saying, I wanna, I wanna talk to you. Got some changes for you. I got some challenges for you. But for you younger people, I'm concerned because we get so um, inundated with just technology and, and what the world is pushing on you guys. And remember Jesus demonstrated this for us where the crowds were pressing on him. He was an influencer. He had lots of likes, Jesus did. The multitudes, you know, gathered around him and wanted to be with them. But what did Jesus constantly do? He was seen going off into mountains by himself and just seeking the Father. Readiness to hear from the Father and Jesus was able to truthfully say, I always do the will of the Father. Why? Because he was one who showed us what it looked like to wait on the, the Father in heaven. Readiness to hear from the Lord. You know who did this in kind of a daily way was David himself. I've got a scripture there uh, on this note, Second uh, Samuel chapter five, right? Really it's verses, um, you know, 17 through 25, that, that whole section um, where it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. David is king of Israel, newly crowned. The Philistines, the horrible enemy of Israel, they found out that David's the new king. So they're like, let's go, let's go beat up the Israelis. So the Philistines encamp there uh, at Rephaim uh, to fight against Israel. And David goes and he seeks the Lord. He waits on the Lord. He doesn't just jump into battle and strap on his sword and get his army together. He says, Lord, should we go up against these Philistines and fight against them? And the Lord says, David, go and fight. So David goes and just totally trounces the Philistines, beats them up, wipes them out, runs them out of town. The next day, the Philistines regroup, get some more men and get a bigger army and come back. And, and if you're me, I'd just say, well, the Lord told us to beat them up today, we'll beat them up tomorrow. So, uh, why seek the Lord again? We know the Philistines are our enemies. But I love David because there in 2 Samuel chapter five, David, on the second day, he says, Lord, same thing he said the first day, should we go up and fight against these Philistines? I don't even think I would have asked the question. But daily, David sought the Lord. And what did the Lord say? The Lord, Lord said, David, do not go up against the Philistines right now. And then the Lord gave very specific direction. I love it. He said, now go and, go and circle around the backside of the Philistine army and hide yourselves in the mulberry trees. And when the wind starts to blow in the leaves of the mulberry trees, that's when you attack the Philistines. Boy, there's a weird set of orders. A little bit subjective, maybe. Is that wind or was that, did somebody sneeze? Well, like you kind of wonder, like when did the wind blow in the mulberry trees? But because David sought the Lord and was waiting on him, he didn't jump ahead and fight the Philistines. But he, he waited and when the wind blew in the mulberry trees, David's army went and attacked and they wiped out the Philistine army. You see, that's an example of a guy who was ready to hear from the Lord on any given day about the same topic. The Lord might have you do one thing today, but he might have you do a totally opposite thing tomorrow. But the only way you'll know is to be those who wait on the Lord. Readiness to hear from the Lord, number two. Number three, lastly, ability to do nothing until a command is given. Boy, that's the hardest if you ask me, especially when time goes by. The more time goes by, the harder it is just to sit still, um, to do nothing. That's the problem with Abraham and Sarah. They waited all those years and they did nothing, which is what the Lord wanted them to do until finally they said, we gotta, we gotta do something. So the Hagar story happened. 
I wonder if you inadvertently have cut short what the Lord wants to do or messed up even what the Lord wants to do in your life because you weren't able just to be still. The scriptures declare, be still and know that I am God. That's a hard thing for some of us. Some of us are not good at being still and waiting, just waiting upon the Lord. Say, Lord, we're gonna trust you, your timing, your will, your purpose, just the ability to wait. First Samuel chapter 13, verses eight through 14 is the story of Saul who made this mistake. King Saul of, of Israel. The, the prophet Samuel said, okay, Saul, here's your orders. Go to Jerusalem, but you wait for me. And when I get there, we'll make burnt offering sacrifice. Then you can go and do the rest of the stuff you gotta do, fight the Philistines and all that stuff. Well, Saul gets to Jerusalem. They got all the burnt offering stuff. Everything's ready to go, but Samuel's not there yet. And Saul's like, man, where's the prophet Samuel? Forget him. Uh, we gotta move this along. So Sa Saul takes it upon himself to start offering burnt offerings before the Lord on the altar. Well, he's all done, okay, just did all of my burnt offering stuff, check, check, and check. And Samuel the prophet comes up, what have you done? So, well, you know, you, you were late, so I just, uh, you know, decided to kind of take it upon myself to do these burnt offerings. How important was that? How detrimental was that? Well, Samuel said, Saul, today, because of this, the kingdom will be taken from you and you will not be the king of Israel and you will not have an everlasting kingdom. What's the everlasting kingdom thing? Well, that would be the next king, David, who David and through the line of David would come Jesus, the king of kings and Lord of lords. Could it be that the Lord, originally the plan would be to go through Saul and that he would have the, the line of the Messiah? But Saul blew it and he would be wiped out and destroyed because he did not have the ability to do nothing until the command was given. He took it upon himself. And some of you are those kind of people that like to take things by the horns. That's a good attribute sometimes, but not when you're getting ahead of the Lord. By the way, what was the big deal about Saul making a burnt offering? Why is that such a bad thing? Well, for the Jews, for you Bible students, many of you know this already, for the Jews, there were three main roles, the prophet, the priest, and the king. And the Lord ordained all three of those offices, but, but never to cross over one to the other. And anybody who did that got into big trouble. The reason for that is there actually is a guy who would be all three of them, the prophet, the priest, and the king. Who would that be? Jesus. But Jesus is the only one who would ever live on the planet that would be qualified for those three roles. So by Saul taking and making sacrifice like a priest, he was crossing a, a line that the Lord had set for the Jews that said, don't cross this line. Saul did it and lost the kingdom because of it. I wonder if you and I are maybe losing stuff that the Lord wants to do in us and through us because we're just a little too hasty to try to make stuff happen and we're not willing to wait upon the Lord. When do you know how to go and when to go? Keep your eyes on the Lord. I love that scripture in Hebrews that says, looking unto Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Sometimes I think my dog Charlie is smarter than I am. How so? Well, I did a Brett's Bible Minute of several months back about my dog Charlie. I actually brought the video. You guys wanna see my dog Charlie? Oh, here, let me show you. And there's a lesson to be learned from my smart dog. Check this out. Hey everybody, Pastor Brett here. And this is my faithful old dog, Charlie. I call him Chuckles. You know, when we're tempted, learn a lesson from our, my dog, Charlie. You know, um, when I try to train him with doggy treats, 
Everybody knows this scene. You know, you put a doggy treat in front of Charlie and he'll usually take his eyes off the food because the temptation to disobey is too great. So instead, he'll fix his eyes on my face. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So learn a lesson from Charlie. Always look to the master's face when facing temptation. And that's Brett's Bible Minute. Good boy. <laughs> yeah, Charlie, he's a good little boy. 12, 12 years old, Chuckles, uh, 12 years old. Um, but Charlie's smarter than I am in that he looks to the master and he keeps his eyes. It's so funny, you put, right, we got these um, treats called begging, where the, it's like bacon, but it's actually dogs will beg, it's a play on words. He, he goes insane over that stuff. And you put the begging on the ground, the little bacon strip thing, and man, he, he starts drooling and he's just looking at me. He doesn't wanna look at the bacon because he knows he needs to wait. My dog's smarter than I am. I need to be looking to the Lord saying, Lord, I, I, I wanna move, I wanna do something, but those who wait upon the Lord, he'll strengthen you, he'll bless you. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard what the Lord will do for those who wait upon the Lord. Man, that's such a key. What, a, what an important, important part of this. Um, you know, so you know, that's, that scripture, by the way, where Saul got ahead of the Lord and missed the whole thing, that comes from 1 Samuel 13. Uh, verses eight through 14. Now, before we wrap it up, did you know this, this verse, Isaiah 64, four, Paul kind of quotes it in the New Testament. But how can you say kind of? Well, it's not word for word. It's got a little twist on it. You say, well, you can't do that. You can if you're Paul and you're writing New Testament scripture. He's still under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So there's a difference and I want you to see the difference. And uh, you can either turn there, but it's 1 Corinthians, or you can read it here, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. And in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, Paul starts this verse off with this phrase, but as it is written. So we know he's quoting from scripture. But it's a little different than Isaiah's quote. It says, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. What's the biggest difference there? Single word. Anybody? Tumbleweeds blowing across the sanctuary. To them that love him. The word love. It's the whole thing we're talking about. Isaiah says to them that wait, King James, waiteth. For those that wait on the Lord, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, but those that love him. Which one is it, Brett? The person that waits on the Lord or the person that loves the Lord? Which one is it, Paul or Isaiah? The answer is both. And I'll tell you why. Do you remember how Jesus taught, if you love me, you will, what? Keep my commandments. You see, the idea of waiting on the Lord and doing what he wants us to do is also a demonstration of love. We love the Lord, so we wanna wait on the Lord. We have this relationship with the Lord. It's not just about waiting coldly. It's a relationship where you're waiting on the Lord because you know him, you love him, and you wanna follow him. You married people know how this is supposed to be. There's the young couple, newly married, that are in love. And you go out on that date and there's the, the, the car stops at the restaurant and the, the guy gets out and he walks around the car, opens the door for the girl and then closes it and walks into the restaurant. And that's the way it is in the first few years. Then after a few years, you do that at the fancy restaurants, but at Home Depot, you don't do that anymore. Come on, honey, we got things to do. Uh, and then as the years go by, maybe as love maybe isn't where it should be, 
uh, pretty soon the guys there pulls up to the restaurant, gets out of the car and starts walking to the restaurant, <clears throat> locks it while she's still sitting there waiting. Uh, I've never done that. Um, but uh, but uh, that, that, that's, that's, that's when love has gone cold. Um, the poor gal is just sitting there saying, I'm not going anywhere until he comes and opens, he's in the restaurant, hey, where's my wife, you know? <laughs> See, in a, in a way, the Lord says, I want you to wait on me. I've got a timing and a plan and a purpose for your life. And for those who love him, the Lord will also wait on him. I think those two things go hand in hand, waiting on the Lord and loving the Lord, very important. I have a challenge for you, just real simple. Um, and this is for all of you Christians. If you're a Christian, I wanna to talk to you first and ask you, how are you doing at waiting on the Lord? Do you have time that you seek the Lord and ask him what to do? Before you make big decisions, are you just trying to go through things logically, the, the pros and the cons? Or are you saying, Lord, I need you to, to, to be that still small voice? Like we read about there in Isaiah chapter 30, the Lord says, I'll be a still small voice and I'll whisper in your ear whether to turn right or to turn left. Waiting on the Lord, seeking the Lord. And, and, and my question is, when do you do that? Do you have that time where you say, I'm, I'm gonna seek the Lord? And it's not just once every 10 years, like we saw today, it's a daily thing like David. Lord, should I go up against the Philistines today? Do you have something different for me on my schedule? Do I need to change what I'm doing? And let the Lord just sort of shape your day and lead you and give you kind of, now, by the way, if you're new to Christianity, does the Lord speak in a big voice, you know, do this or do that. Sometimes I wish. I've never heard him speak to me this way. He has in times past talked to people vocally. But most of the times we Christians hear from the Lord in more of a sense of peace or no peace. It's like what Philippians says, you know, don't be anxious for anything, but everything in prayer, supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God will rule your hearts. Rule your heart, that, that means tell you which way to go. You'll have a peace, you'll just have a sense, Lord, this is what you want me to do. I feel in my heart, well, Brett, that's just the pizza that you had for lunch. Nope, you Christians know what I'm talking about. Um, there's, a, there's a sense after prayer. You don't get it unless you wait on the Lord you won't know it if you're not seeking the Lord. But when you take time, the Bible promises, those who seek me will find me. Knock, the door will be open. Ask and it'll be given. Seek and you will find. This is what the Bible promises. And my challenge to you Christians is to say, Lord, how am I doing on waiting? Just being a person that's waiting on you, seeking your face. Because the blessings that are listed for those who are truly waiting on the Lord, they're too great to miss. You don't wanna miss the blessings of being a person who waits upon the Lord. Would you bow your heads please with me as we close? And if you're a Christian, would you just right now, just, just you and the Lord kind of seek, forget Uncle Bob and other people you think, well, I wish so-and-so was here to hear that service. Uh, but think about yourself right now and say, Lord, show me what I need to do differently. Should I be seeking, asking, knocking? Should I? organize my schedule different? Should I put down the technology and just kind of be still sometimes? Ask the Lord, let the Lord speak to you right now. And then the second group of people that I wanna talk to is the unsaved. If you're still an unbeliever or not a Christian, ah, man, there's so much about this. The gospel message is simply this. You're a sinner deserving death and hell for all eternity. And that's me too, all of us. 
But the gift of God, the Bible says, is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Nothing you do to earn it. It's a free gift that Jesus wants to offer to the, the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that's, that's you. If you're not a Christian, you're the whosoever, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And man, I'd love for someone to just say today, okay, I give in, I give up. I've done it my way. It's time to believe and accept Christian faith. It doesn't mean what so many people make Christianity. Some people think Christianity is having to go to church and wear certain clothes and a big smile and carry a 20 pound Bible and beat people over the head with it. That's not what Christianity is. Some Christians do that and probably shouldn't. <laughs> but being a Christian is simply this, someone who repents. That means to change your mind about your sin and say, I, I know I'm a sinner and I don't wanna go that way anymore. And I wanna walk with Christ and, and I wanna be forgiven for my sins. And so the way you get that forgiveness is what Romans 10 verse nine and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him up from the dead, it says you will be saved. I love that, it's so simple, salvation, so great salvation, but it's all him, it's all Jesus. So that's what you do. Just you, if, that's, if you're out there watching online or if you're here in the room and you wanna accept Christ, do that right now. Just between you and the Lord, just kind of whisper that prayer. Lord, forgive me a sinner. Help me to walk with you. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave. And if you, if you speak that out from your heart, not just mouthing words, but speaking it in, in belief and in faith, the Bible says you will be saved. The reason that's important is because this idea of seeking the Lord and waiting on the Lord that we've been talking about, if you're not a Christian, none of that's gonna apply to you because our sin separates us from God altogether. When you accept Christ and become a Christian, you then are forgiven for your sins and you suddenly again are, have access to Christ. And you can pray, you can talk to the Lord and he'll start to direct your life. Man, it's the best thing in the world. Lord, how I pray for those who've wrestled with this topic of waiting upon you. Lord, we get so busy that we kind of phase you out of our lives. But I pray, Lord, that you just do that loving conviction of our soul uh, today that we'd make time to be seeking you, to wait upon you, that we might renew our strength. We'll mount up with wings like eagles, we'll run and not grow weary, and we'll walk and not faint, like your word says. So many blessings and promises to those who would wait on you. So bless the congregation, Lord, for those who've just accepted you. I pray that they'd sense your loving power in their lives, your forgiveness of sin, and that you're right there with them. May they just have a sense of your love and your goodness. May they be discipled and trained and learn more of your scripture and what really the truth is. So we pray your blessing on your church today. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say. In Jesus' name. Let's all stand together. Joey's gonna lead us in a final song. And this is a song just about waiting on the Lord. And let's just uh, continue to wait on him and hear from him. And, and then we'll be dismissed in Jesus' name.